since the time I was in college, I've been aware that there's been a debate among brethren and among many religious people regarding the drinking of alcohol. Now, I understand that there's no debate regarding drunkenness. Very few in the religious world would condone drunkenness, and I don't know any Christians who do. We all know passages like Romans chapter 13 and verse 13. Romans 13 and verse 13, Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness. We know passages like Galatians chapter 5, where Paul lists the works of the flesh. And in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 21, he condemns envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Passages like 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3, Peter says, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. We know these passages are here, and so we don't argue and debate regarding drunkenness. That's not the question. The question about which we debate today is whether or not we are allowed to participate in intoxicating drink in moderation. What about one drink in the privacy of my own home, following supper on special occasions like Thanksgiving or Christmas? Is it all right to have just one drink? Now, for many Christians who argue back and forth, this argument is largely academic. There are some who would claim that it would be all right to have some drink in moderation, but they never would really argue for it because knowing the dangers of alcohol, they would never in any real sense condone or encourage anyone to drink. But for some, it's a very practical matter. Take our young people, for instance. In high school and in college, alcohol has become one of those staples of fitting in. If you're going to be a part of the in crowd, you're going to have to learn to drink. And so our young people, if they decide that it's all right to have one drink, to drink in moderation, they can say, well, at the party I can have this one beer or this one cooler and I can just sip on this thing all night long and I can fit in and everything will be all right. We have other Christians that are involved in sales and in business and it's becoming just almost the way you do business, to wine and dine customers and clients and bosses. And the Christian who is in this position might say to himself, well, if it's all right to drink in moderation, then I can fit in. I can have my one drink and I won't have to look silly as these other folks consider me having a fanatic moral stance. And then, of course, there are those who have become Christians. They've come out of the world. And they've lived that old beer commercial that says it doesn't get any better than this, working hard all day long, and there they are outside sitting on their front porch, and they crack open that cold beer. And they say to themselves, I know I'm a Christian now, but if I can be a Christian and still have my one drink and still be pure, why not? Why not indeed? The fact is, if God's Word does not condemn drinking alcohol in moderation then neither can we. But if God's Word does condemn it, then we cannot allow it. And so I'd like for us to consider this question, is intoxicating drink allowed in moderation? We know how to answer questions like these. You remember what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 
In 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 16, I want you to notice Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, All Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. We know how to answer questions like these. We need to go to the Scripture and find out what the Scripture equips us for, what it authorizes. If we go to the Word of God and it provides no equipping for drinking alcohol in moderation, then we can't do it. If, however, we go to the Scripture and we do find that authorization, we do find that equipping, then we can. And please understand that I am like you. I just want to serve God. I want to go to heaven and I want to help others go to heaven. I don't want to bind where God has not bound, but at the same time I do not want to loose where God has not loosed. And so let's ask this very serious question. Is intoxicating drink allowed in moderation? I want us to begin by dispelling a few modern assumptions that are made when we start talking from the Bible about intoxicating drink. There are some modern assumptions that we make that cloud our discussion as we go to the Bible and see what exactly is authorized and what is not authorized. If we clear these things up, it'll help us. One of the first assumptions that we make regarding the Bible is that wine is wine is wine and it's all intoxicating. That is absolutely not true. Let me give you an illustration before we look at the texts. If I were to come up to you and say, listen, I don't have much time, but I'm going to get together tonight, and I need some cider. Can you go get some for me at the store? Now, you know me, right? And you know that as a Christian, I'm going to avoid alcohol, and I'm not going to go to any of these parties that have, you know, these drinking parties that were condemned in First Peter chapter 4 and verse 3. So when you go to the store, what are you going to buy? You're going to buy me some nice apple cider, right? However, if you knew that I was different, if you knew that I was a drinker, and you knew that I was going to a BYOB New Year's Eve party tonight, what would you do? You'd go down to the package store and you'd buy me some hard liquor called cider, right? Here's a word that we use today, cider. And in some cases it can mean something that is alcoholic and intoxicating, and in other cases it can mean something as harmless as apple juice that's just a little bit spicy, a little bit strong, tangy, right? We use that. I remember one time, another term, watching a television commercial as it was advertising cocktail drinks. And it showed a bunch of three and four-year-olds begging for these cocktail drinks. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about Welch's cocktail drinks. Just mixed juices. See, there's another word that we can use. Cocktail just means a mixed drink. But based on the context, it might be something alcoholic and intoxicating. Or in a different context, like a TV commercial with three-year-olds and four-year-olds, we know that it's not. It's just fruit juice. Those are words that we use today that, depending on the context, can mean alcoholic and intoxicating, or it might mean something else as harmless as juice. When you go to the Bible, even though we today, when we say wine, we mean alcohol. When you go to the Bible, that is not the way the word was used. The word wine in the Bible times was used the very same way that we use cider and we use cocktail. In some instances, it meant something that was alcoholic or intoxicating. In other instances, it meant nothing more than grape juice. The word wine, oenos, comes from the idea of the vine, what's grown on the vine. 
And whether the juice had fermented or not, the Bible writers call it wine. Clearly, we can look in some passages and we can see where this term is used in the Bible and it means alcoholic, intoxicating juice from the grape that has fermented. For instance, look in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 20. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 20. Most of us are familiar with the story of Noah after he got off the ark. It says in Genesis 9 and verse 20 that Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. Clearly. Alcoholic, intoxicating, fermented juice from the vine. Wine. We can look in Genesis chapter 19. In Genesis chapter 19 and verse 31. Genesis 19 and verse 31. Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old and there's not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine and let us lie with him that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went in and lay with her father and he didn't know when she lay down or when she arose. We've got clearly alcoholic, intoxicating drink. We can look in Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23. Beginning at verse 29. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29, the proverbialist writes, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine. Those who go to taste mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your mind will utter perverse things. And you'll be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I didn't know it. When shall I awake? I'll seek another drink. Here, clearly, alcoholic, intoxicating wine. But let's look at some other passages. Some passages where the word wine is used and it most clearly cannot be alcoholic, intoxicating wine. For instance, look in Isaiah chapter 16 and verse 10. If you look in Isaiah chapter 16 and verse 10... We'll find in the book of the prophet, it says, Gladness and joy, Isaiah 16.10, Gladness and joy are taken away from the fruitful field. In the vineyards also there will be no cries of joy or jubilant shouting. No treader treads out wine in the presses, for I have made the shouting to cease. Now, if you know about how the whole fermentation process works, when they're treading that stuff out of the grapes, what is it? It's grape juice. It hasn't fermented yet. It can't possibly have fermented yet. And yet here in Isaiah chapter 16 and verse 10, he talks about them treading the wine out in the presses. There's not alcoholic intoxicating wine in those wine presses. There's grape juice. It takes some time for it to ferment. You can look in Jeremiah chapter 40. In Jeremiah chapter 40, Beginning at verse 10. Jeremiah chapter 40 and verse 10. Jeremiah writes, Now as for me, behold, I'm going to stay at Mizpah to stand for you before the Chaldeans who come to us. But as for you, 
gather in wine and summer fruit and oil and put them in your storage vessels and live in your cities that you have taken over. Then in verse 12, Then all the Jews returned from all the places to which they had been driven away and came to the land of Judah to get a lie and Mizpah and gathered in wine and summer fruit in great abundance. What's he talking about? He's talking about them going into the vineyards, gathering in the fruit, bringing the grapes off. But what's he say? Gathering the wine. He's talking about the juice while it is still in the grape, gathering it in. It's still in the grape. It can't possibly have become fermented or alcoholic, intoxicating wine. And yet he uses the term wine. What are we learning from this? We are learning that when we go to our Bible, every time we see the word wine, we cannot assume that it's talking about alcoholic, intoxicating drinks. The word wine is clearly used in the Bible in the same way we use those words cider and cocktail today. Depending on the context, we know, is it talking about something intoxicating or is it just talking about juice? First assumption that we have to dispel. Wine is wine is wine and it's all intoxicating. That's not true in the Bible. The second assumption that we have to dispel, some will concede what we point out in point one. And they'll say, okay, certainly, yes, there are passages in the Bible where the word wine is used, And it does not mean alcoholic intoxicating wine. But the ancients had no way and they had no knowledge about how to keep the juice from fermenting. And so, sure, if we're talking about wine that's in the grape or that's just been treaded out, that's just grape juice. But if it's been around for a couple of days, it must be alcoholic and intoxicating because they couldn't stop it from fermenting. That is simply not the case. Now, I know why these kind of arguments are made. Because every generation believes that we have tapped into the knowledge and that we're smarter and brighter than all those who have gone before us. And surely these ancients couldn't have figured out how to do what we do because we keep it from fermenting, don't we? And we go buy it at the store and we call it Welch's. But they couldn't have figured that out. Well, in fact, they had figured it out. I'd like to read some things to you if you don't mind. Read a couple of quotes here. Marcus Porcius Cato the Elder, who lived from 234 to 149 B.C., wrote this. If you wish to have must, which is grape juice, if you wish to have must all year, put grape juice in an amphora, a container, and seal the cork with pitch. Sink it in a fish pond. After 30 days, take it out. It will be grape juice for a whole year year. You see, what they had learned is that they sealed it up and they put it in this container and sunk it underground where the temperature was much lower. It would keep the fermentation process from happening. Look in First Chronicles chapter 27 and verse 27. In First Chronicles chapter 27 and verse 27, we don't see the exact same scenario here, but we do find this. First Chronicles 27 and verse 27, it says, Shemai the Ramathite had charge of the vineyards, and Zabdi, the Shiphmite, had charge of the produce of the vineyards stored in the wine cellars. Putting it underground where the temperature is controlled, which would control the fermentation process. We find a second quote from Pliny, who lived from A.D. 61 to A.D. 113. He said, The most useful wine has all its force or strength Broken by the filter. Plutarch, who lived from AD 46 to 120, said, Wine is rendered old or feeble in strength when it is frequently 
filtered. The strength or spirit being thus excluded, the wine neither inflames the brain nor infests the mind and the passions and is much more pleasant to drink. What he's pointing out is that they were to filter out the gluten and the things that caused the fermentation to take place, they would keep it from fermenting. I want you to notice Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 6. Very interesting passage in Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 6. It says, Isaiah 25, 6, The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. Now here today we hear, oh, aged wine, that means old and alcoholic. It's had a long time to ferment. It's just gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. However, that word for refined translates the Hebrew word zakak, or however you would pronounce that in Hebrew, and it means filtered wine. You see, they understood. We can filter it, and that will remove this strength, this alcoholic, this intoxicating thing. Plutarch said that it would not inflame the brain, it would not infest the mind with passions, and he said it's much more pleasant to drink. Finally, have you ever heard of someone who would adamantly say that you can't drink alcohol, but they'll use it in their cooking? Anybody ever heard of anybody doing that? Okay, I'm assuming you have. Nobody's... Okay, I see a couple of little nods. Okay, all right. Why? Why? Because we know the alcohol cooks out, right? Alcohol has a lower boiling point than water, and so when you use this for flavoring, the alcohol, the intoxicating part of it, boils out. Hmm. I bet we can do something with that. In fact, listen to this quote. <clears throat> Talking about Virgil, from 70 to, who lived from 70 to 19 B.C., before, uh, before Christ lived, he wrote, as he talked about the work of the, the housewife at that time, he said, Meanwhile, his spouse, over the fire, boils down the liquor of the luscious must and skims with leaves the tide of the trembling cauldron. What are we doing? We're boiling it down. We're getting rid of all the alcoholic content, boiling it down to this, this essentially kind of a goop, kind of a paste. But it's getting rid of the alcohol. What, what would they do then? Once they've gotten rid of it, then they could put water in it and mix it. They have kind of a concentrate. It's a lot like those cans of grape juice that you go to buy that's frozen. You pull it out of your freezer, you mix it with water. It's kind of that same thing, except they didn't freeze theirs. It was just boiled down to this kind of pasty substance. They'd mix water in it and they'd have wine, but it would be non-alcoholic, non-intoxicating wine. This, they were doing this before the time of Jesus. So what do we learn from this? Not only when we go to the Bible do we find that the word wine does not always mean alcoholic or intoxicating, we also find that just because it's old wine doesn't mean it's alcoholic or intoxicating. Now let's remember, what's our governing principle? I've got to go to the Bible, I've got to find authority and equipping to know that it's a good work. So as I'm going to the Scripture to find authority and equipping, it is not enough to find a passage where somebody drank something called wine. Not even if it's at a marriage feast. Because the word wine did not necessarily mean alcoholic or intoxicating. I've got to look at the context, and I have to discover that this is actually mentioning alcoholic, intoxicating wine being drunk with approval. And so our question is, can we find that? 
I'd like you to consider the biblical presentation of alcoholic intoxicating wine. There are lots of passages in the Bible that mention wine. And some of them, the context is not extremely clear whether it's talking about alcoholic or intoxicating wine. We'll have to know a little bit more. But as I've gone through and searched out those terms, I've found what I believe are 21 cases in the Bible where the word wine is used, and it is clearly, absolutely talking about drinking alcoholic and intoxicating wine. And I'll show you what I found. In those 21 cases, 20 of them are negative, condemning them, showing how bad it is, using it as an illustration of something awful happening to somebody, and only one of them is remotely positive. We're not going to read all 20 of them, but I'll list them to you. And by the way, I have copies of this outline. You can pick it up and you can look at all 20 of these. It'll be on the little stand as you walk out the door. But we've got Genesis 9 and verse 21. Genesis 19 and verse 32, Numbers chapter 6 and verse 3, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 14, 1 Samuel 25 and verse 36, the 60th Psalm and verse 3, the 75th Psalm and verse 8, the 78th Psalm and verse 65, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 30, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 4, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 11, chapter 5, verse 22, Isaiah chapter 24 and verse 9, Isaiah 28, verse 1, Isaiah 56, 12, Jeremiah 23, Nine, Jeremiah 51.7, Joel 1.5, Ephesians 5.18. Every single one of these uses the word wine, and in every single one of them it's pictured as something bad. Clearly alcoholic, intoxicating wine, and it's pictured as something negative and something that's bad. Probably one that is most clear, we can look at Proverbs chapter 20 and, and verse 1. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. And as you look through these 20 passages, you'll find every time, clearly intoxicating wine, but it's condemned. One passage where it's remotely positive, and that's in, and we're clear, we're clear that it's alcoholic intoxicating wine, and that's in Proverbs chapter 31. In Proverbs chapter 31, verse 6. Here is a place where practically it's commanded to give this stuff to somebody. And in Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 6, it says, Give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his trouble no more. Who is this wine being given to? Somebody who's perishing or dying, whose life is bitter. The word translated bitter here doesn't just mean, oh, they're really depressed and all kinds of bad things are happening to them. The bitter life, it's actually the word for pain. Somebody who's dying and somebody who's in pain. So what do we actually find here? We don't find, hey, go ahead and drink some alcohol in moderation. We find somebody who's dying and in pain, give them some of the sedative that will get rid of some of the pain. What do we find? Medicine. The same way we use morphine today for somebody who's dying of cancer and in all kinds of pain. We'll give them a little bit of that, but how many of us would use that to say, see, it's all right to have a little morphine with your supper as long as you keep it in moderation. The only passage that is remotely positive is used to describe medical use. And that's it. It's not used to describe overcoming depression it's not used to describe overcoming bad things happening in our life. It's used to describe medicine, specifically here, a painkiller. And that's it. So when we look at the Bible, the passages that are clearly dealing with alcoholic intoxicating wine, what do we learn from the Bible? It's bad. It's not good. 
But let's move on even beyond this. Certainly that for us ought to be enough. Colossians 3.17, do all things in the name of Jesus. If we can't find authority, if all we can find is it's viewed as bad, that ought to be enough for us. But let's take it even a step further. There are five biblical principles that we can look at, passages that describe principles that ought to help us answer this question. The first one, the principle is given, don't begin to get drunk. Look in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, the Bible reads, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, someone might ask, Edward, why are you bringing up Ephesians 5.18? You said at the very beginning of the sermon that nobody argues about whether or not you can get drunk. The reason why I bring up Ephesians 5.18 is because this verse actually uses a very specific term that has a different meaning than a lot of the other passages that just use the word drunk. The word that is translated here is the word methusko. Can you remember that? Methusko. It is a form of the word methuo. Now, methuo means you've drunk a lot. In the context of alcohol, it means you're drunk. But this particular form of the word methusko, we find out, let me just read some more to you here, from Vines, that methusko is used, it's the inceptive form. We're getting a little grammar lesson here. The inceptive form of the word. Do you know what the inception of something is? The inception is the beginning when it's starting. Vine says that the inceptive form of this verb is marking the process of the state expressed in Methuo. In other words, this word here in Ephesians 5, as it says, don't get drunk, is not talking about the ultimate end state of, of drunk just falling all over the floor, can't stand up, can't find the door. It's marking the process from beginning to end. It's the inceptive form. Webster's Dictionary defines inceptive as expressing the beginning of the action indicated by the underlying verb. Abbott Smith's Manual Greek Lexicon of the New Testament claims Methusko is causal of Methuo. What's condemned here is the thing that causes being drunk. Bullinger's, a critical lexicon in concordance to the English and Greek New Testament, says, Methusko means to grow drunk, marking the beginning of Methuo. What do we find here? In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 28, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, when he says don't get drunk with wine, he's not talking about don't get to that point where you're just slobbering all over yourself, can't talk, can't stand drunk. He says, from beginning to end, the inception, the entire process. When does the process of getting drunk begin? With the first drink. And he condemns it here. The process, the thing that causes it. And please note, this argument is entirely grammatical. It has nothing to do with the intent of the person taking the drink. It has nothing to do with whether or not he actually completes his attempt. It has everything to do with don't even start the process by which this is caused. Why? He says because that leads to dissipation. It leads to riot. It leads to rebellion. It leads to you not knowing how to serve God. In this context, Ephesians 5.18, he says, Don't get drunk with the wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. What's his point? He says, the moment you start to drink that alcoholic, intoxicating stuff, as you become filled with that, To the degree that you're filled with that, you're not filled with the Spirit. 
What's it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Being filled with the Spirit means knowing His Word and living by it. He said the problem with starting this process is it leads to riot. It leads to rebellion. It leads to not being able to know and understand and follow the Word and will of God to the extent that you're putting that stuff in your body. You are no longer being governed by the will and Word of God. And of course, that's exactly what happens when you start drinking intoxicants because they ruin your ability to judge. The second principle is that we are commanded to be completely sober. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6. He says, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. This word is used several times in the Scripture. According to Vines, it translates the Greek word nepho. According to Strong's Enhanced Lexicon, what this word means is to be sober, to be calm and collected in spirit, to be temperate, dispassionate, and circumspect. According to Vine, it means signifies to be free from the influence of intoxicants. According to G. Abbott Smith, it means to be sober, abstain from wine, metaphorically of moral alertness. Bullinger defines it to be sober, temperate, abstinent, especially in respect to wine. What these guys point out, sober means don't have any intoxicating influence. It doesn't mean don't have a lot. It means don't have any. Period. I'd like to read something to you. This comes from a little pamphlet called What Every Teenager Should Know About Alcohol. I picked it up while I was in southeast Texas. It's put out by the Mental Health Mental Retardation Center to give to teenagers. And it says, What Every Teenager Should Know About Alcohol. I will tell you that this pamphlet, this is not me just finding the choir to say amen. According to page four of this pamphlet, they'll tell you that to any teenager, three things you can do with alcohol. Number one, don't use it. Number two, use it safely. Or number three, abuse it. You see, they think people can abstain and that's fine, but they also think there's a way to use alcohol safely. So these aren't people on my side making this comment. Notice what they say, though. It takes one hour for the alcohol from one drink to leave the body. So a 150 to 180 pound person could consume one drink per hour and still stay relatively sober. Did you catch that? You can drink one drink per hour and you will be relatively sober. What's that relatively mean? Well, that means certainly if there's somebody over here who's drunk three drinks in an hour, relative to them, you're sober. But what about the guy over here who hasn't had any drinks? That means relative to them, what are you? Not sober. Now, if God's Word in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 6 and in 1 Peter chapter 1 and 1 Peter chapter 5 had said maintain relative sobriety, then what we would learn from this is that we can have one drink per hour. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, be sober. Now, brethren, that's the world who put that together. And they pointed out, if you take a drink, you're, just going to be, you're not going to be really sober. You're just going to be relatively sober. It takes a Christian who just wants to drink to say, oh, no, I can have a drink and I'm still sober. Because the world understands. Now, I'd like to look at some passages in Proverbs. There's three passages in Proverbs, and I'm absolutely amazed 
if you ever, and if you have been, or are, somebody who claims that drinking alcohol in moderation is okay, if you've ever talked to anybody like this, or if you've ever made the argument, you'll know that one of the first places we're going to go is we're going to go to Proverbs, because Proverbs says it's alright to have some. Does it really? I want you to look at three passages in Proverbs that are often used to say it's okay to drink alcohol as long as you don't drink too much of it. And let's look at them again and see what they really say. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. The very first statement here, it says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. That's Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. See, all this condemns is being intoxicated by it. And we're just saying, what if I drink some and I don't get intoxicated by it? But notice the very first thing it says. <coughs> Wine is a mocker. This verse says three different things. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And if you get intoxicated by it, you're a fool. Now, what most folks want to do today is let's go to the last half of the verse and ignore the first half. That's the same thing that a lot of churches today do with Mark 16, 16. They'll go to the last half and say that it denies the first half. What's the first half say? The first half says wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. Wine is arrogant and puffed up and it scoffs at people but we're going to go ahead and drink just a little bit of this scoffer. It's a brawler. That means it's clamorous and loud and it rages. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul said we're supposed to put clamoring away from us. And yet here we learn in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1 that we're allowed to drink a little bit of it. It says three things. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And if you get intoxicated with it, you're a fool. But if you drink just a little bit of it, what are you having? Good, clean fun? No, you're having the mocker and the brawler. That doesn't sound very positive to me. We look at Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine. Oh, see, there it is. Those who linger long over wine. It doesn't say that it's bad to just have some wine, so we just won't linger long over it. Is that all it says? Let's not stop there. Let's keep reading because it also says somebody else has woe and contentions and sorrow. Those who linger long over the wine and those who go to taste mixed wine. If you've got the King James Version, I think it just says those who look for it. Who's got sorrow and woes? Those who linger long over it, and those who even just go to taste it, or even just to look for the stuff. But here's the amazing thing. We've got folks today that they'll turn to Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 29, and they'll say, who has woe? Who has sorrows? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine. Those who go to taste mixed wine. So do not linger long over the wine. Drink a little bit of it. Look at it and enjoy it, but don't drink too much. Is that what yours says there in Proverbs 23? See, this amazes me. We've got folks today in the year 2004 that will read these verses in Proverbs chapter 23, and their conclusion is, oh, it's those who linger long over wine that have the problem, so let's have some, but not too much. The guy who wrote this passage, what was his conclusion? He says, these people have sorrows, and so here was his advice. Do, this verse 31, what did he tell you to do? Do not Look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent, stings like a viper. The proverbialist does not say those who linger long over wine 
have problems and so just don't linger along. He says those who do this have problems, so don't even look at it. Was he telling us we can have one drink an hour as long as we keep our eyes closed? Absolutely not. What he was telling us was this stuff causes problems. Stay away from it. How do we get from that? That I'm allowed to have a little. When he said, don't even look at it. Final passage, Proverbs 31. Just before that passage that we read earlier, where it talked about who to give it to, the one who's dying and in pain, medical purpose, it has in Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink, for they'll drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. He says it's not for kings to drink this stuff. Why? Because to the extent that they drink it, they'll forget the law and they won't use that to govern themselves and to govern their people. Hey, that sounds familiar. Doesn't that sound like Ephesians 5.18 that we read just a minute ago? The more we drink, the less we'll be able to control ourselves and the less we'll be guided by God's law. Let's not forget, brethren, that when we look at these people, the one who is the king versus the one whose lives are dying, we are kings. 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. We're kings. And Proverbs says, it is not for us to drink wine or drink strong drink. Why? Because we'll drink it and forget the law. And that is exactly what happens. Let me read one more thing to you here. This is a quote that that came out of Listen Magazine. I got it from a booklet called Sipping Saints. It quotes a chart taken from Listen Magazine. Now, we all know, I believe in every state in the Union... 0.10 0.10 blood alcohol content is considered legally drunk. I think here in Tennessee it's 0.08 now. But I think every state it's at least 0.10 is legally drunk. You'll be arrested if you're caught drinking and driving at that point. For a man who weighs 220 pounds, it'll take on average five 12-ounce cans of beer to become legally drunk, to hit that 0.10 state. However, at 0.01, at one-tenth of that blood alcohol content, The alcohol in that beer already has affected the frontal lobe, which causes these things. You ready for this? Removal of inhibitions, loss of self-control, weakening of willpower, feeling of well-being, false confidence, impaired judgment, loquaciousness. Now, if you're like me, I had to look that word up. Loquaciousness means to talk a lot. I know some loquacious people who don't have to drink to get that way. Talking a lot is not necessarily bad. depends on what kind of things you're saying. Dulling of attention. Now, that's amazing. At .01, we've removed inhibitions. We need inhibitions because those keep us within the Word of God. We've lost our self-control. We're beginning that process. We are supposed to control ourselves. You remember what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1? Add your faith virtue to virtue knowledge to your knowledge. uh, Self-control. Feelings of well-being, weakening of willpower. Somebody who wants us to commit more sin, we're starting the process. You know how many 12-ounce cans of beer it takes to get a 220-pound man to 0.01 blood alcohol content? Half of a can of beer. Half. 
Perhaps when we consider that, we understand why Lemuel's mother said to him, don't drink it, because the moment you start drinking that stuff, it messes with your brain. And allow me to say to you, do not come out of this auditorium this morning and tell me, well, it may affect most people, but it doesn't affect me like that. Because you, if you drink that stuff, are the last person in the world that has any idea how it's affecting you. That's exactly what this stuff does. It weakens your judgment from the first drink. And so don't tell me it's not affecting you because you're the last person to know if it is. Lemuel's mother says, don't drink it. Period. So what we learn from this, brethren... 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says to us, we ought to be able to find equipping for every good work in the Word of God. Have we found equipping for drinking alcoholic, intoxicating drink, even in moderation? Absolutely not. We have found that in the Bible, there was grape juice and there was alcohol. Grape juice was considered a thing of great joy and comfort and merriment. Alcohol was considered a mocker and a brawler, and a destroyer. And if you drink that stuff, you are called a fool. What's that sound like to you? Can we drink it in moderation? No.